Hello, everybody. Uh, Jared Woodcox here, your host of the Three Point Threat Podcast. Excited to have you all back for the 14th episode of the show. Um, you know, it's really exciting. We're getting really close to the start of the season, guys. I know that I'm anxious to get going. Uh, you know, preseason's just a few days away now and really looking forward to the start of the Jazz season. So for today's show, uh, you know, three things I want to talk about. Um, first of all, obviously, we just had Utah Jazz Media Day, so I want to give my reactions to that. You know, a lot of good interviews, a lot of good content, and I don't want to go too much into detail as far as, you know, everything that was said, but I want to just kind of give my few impressions on that for point number one. Uh, for point number two, looking at the league as a whole, um, want to talk a little bit about my reactions to two big, um, big one trade, I guess you should say, and one signing that went down um, this week. I want to talk about the mellow um, trade to Oklahoma City as well as Wade signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that'll be point number two. Then last of all, for point number three, I want to talk a little bit about three ways that a lot of folks are overlooking the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, obviously we know the team doesn't have super high expectations going into this season, um, you know, from the national media and things like that. But I think it's pretty clear from media day that they have high expectations for themselves. And there's three things that I think folks that aren't too familiar with the Jazz are overlooking. So I want to dive into those. So without further ado, let's get going. We'll jump right into point number one. Point one. So as I said, you know, with Media Day taking place on Monday, um, I thought there were a lot of really cool things. It's so exciting to see the team all together, all suited up in their, their jazz uniforms. Um, pretty exciting to see how everything's going to come together. There were just a few things that really stood out to me that I wanted to touch on today, um, you know, based on what I saw uh, from Media Day and all that. The first thing that really stood out to me was just the emphasis on defense. I mean, almost everybody talked about it. We know that's been the Jazz's calling card uh, for years now, I mean, you know, especially since Quinn Snyder uh, came on board. And I'm just really excited to see what this team can do defensively. Obviously, we were one of the best defensive teams last year, uh, first in the league in opponent points per game, third in the league in defensive rating. And what did we do? You know, I really feel like we got even better on that end um, of the floor this offseason, you know, adding guys like Cephalosha, like Jonas Jerebko, like Epe Udo. And it's really exciting to see how, as the team grows as well, how that defense is going to continue to get better. Um, you know, Tavo Cephalosha talked a lot about what he can bring, and a lot of other players. You know, Rudy Gobert mentioned that he's excited to see, you know, Tavo in action. And I just think he's going to be such a commodity for us because, you know, there were times last year where, you know, we had Joe Ingles, who turned out to be a pretty dang good perimeter defender. Uh, we had George Hill when he was healthy that, you know, if the guy wasn't too big, he could step in and be a pretty good wing defender. And, and Gordon Hayward was a good defender as well. Don't get me wrong at all. But now we have a guy in Tavo Cephalosha that he can go in there and he can check those LeBron James type players. He can check Kevin Durant. He can really go in there and be the guy that does that. So I'm excited to see how that pans out. Um, I like to... Uh, Rodney Hood was the one that I remember. I'm sure other guys did too. But I know that Rodney talked about Jonas Jerebko and how you know he's been talking and communicating on defense. I guess this is more training camp um, than, than media day. Um, but just you know, there's been some cool things that uh, Hood had to say about Jonas Jerebko and how he's going to be good on defense. And then back to media day, I really loved the discussion um, that that I guess Derek Favors mostly talked about, but about him and Rudy Gobert. And, you know, Favors talked about how he's always heard since Rudy kind of has, has stepped into the spotlight is that they can't work together. They can't coexist. And he's just so excited to prove that wrong. And I'm excited to see it happen, too. You know, Rudy and Favors, they made it pretty clear that they think that the two of them can be, you know, the, the best front court defensively in the league and that the Jazz can have the best defense in the league. So that's something from Media Day I really wanted to, I'm really looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um, Quinn Snyder also talked a lot about defense, saying that that's his primary focus. He wants to establish the defense. Um, Utah's first practice this week, that was their main area of focus, again, was on defense. And so 
it's going to be fun to see. You know, I know there's a lot of teams that all they really focus on is the three-point shot and, and you know running up the score and scoring lots of points. Um, but I just love how the Jazz have more of this focus on you know let's let's make them earn it. Let's do let's do this the hard way. Let's really focus on defense. And even though you know we know the Jazz probably aren't going to be a championship contender this year, I still believe that the mantra of defense win championships holds true. And they're going to have a great foundation, a great base moving forward by doing that. The next thing that really stood out to me from, you know, media day and early training camp that we've heard so far um, is health. Um, you know, we know that um, that Rodney Hood, you know, had a lot of problems with injuries last year. Obviously, Alec Burks and Derek Favors have been in that same camp. And I don't know if you guys saw recently my my one of my latest posts on the jnotes.com, but I talked about how it's such a commodity because this year we have Alec Burks and Derek Favors healthy. Whereas last year at this time, you know, even coming into the season, they weren't healthy. So already it seems that we're a step ahead of where we were last year, injury and health-wise. So that's great news. You know, everybody says that Alec has looked good. He said himself that he feels like he's finally back to his own self. Faber says that he's healthy, even though he never really was last year. And I know, guys, I know that a lot of this is just training camp talk. You know, obviously there's going to be optimism. There's going to be, you know, a lot of confidence, a lot of high hopes. Not everything's going to pan out as much as we want it to. Um, based on what the players and coaches and others say during media day and during uh, training camp. But still, I think there's a lot of positive signs about um, you know, the health of the team. Uh, Dante Exum already has been praising the new training staff, um, how they feel more prepared before going on the court. There's been longer stretching and different massages and different things like that to get them ready for action. And just all this is a really good sign that, uh, I mean, I think jazz management is well aware that this has been a huge issue. How could you not be aware of that, obviously? And they're looking to tackle it. So that's something that I'm really excited about and looking forward to from what we've heard so far. Uh, the next thing is Donovan Mitchell. You know, just to put it bluntly, he's a guy that a lot of guys on the team talked about. And I know that we as jazz fans, you know, we're all really excited to see him in action. He was awesome in summer league. You know, we have really high hopes for him. All summer, I've been trying not to get too overly optimistic and what I mean by that is, I mean, he's going to be a rookie, um, first year in the league. You know, rookies don't often have, you know, a, a huge impact on their teams. And while I think Donovan could be great, I've tried to kind of pump the brakes as much as I can. But it just gets so hard to continue to pump the brakes because, um, you know, you've got the coaches saying they love him. You've got these players saying that he's standing out and he's playing well. And, you know, all these signs are just indicating that Donovan Mitchell is going to be really, really good. Um, even in his rookie year, and I just I can't wait to see how he truly pans out. But like I said, the fact that you know his teammates are praising him, uh, he's been praised all all off season long. You and I, you know, we saw it in summer league how good he could be. There's just so many signs that he's going to be you know a great addition to this Jazz team, and I can't wait to to see that. From his media day interview, the thing that I liked was you know I feel like a lot of rookies when they're asked you know how they're going to contribute and all that, um, either they'll answer pretty cliche. Or they'll be way, um, you know, kind of just have a really big head about things and they'll say, oh yeah, I'm going to come in and, and do really well right off the bat and, and kind of be almost to the point where it's like, yeah, you're full of it. You're not going to be able to do that much. You're just a rookie. You know, you kind of, you know that they're they're a little bit uh, exaggerating what they're going to be capable of. So what I loved about Donovan Mitchell is I felt like he was neither of those. He just said that he wants to come in and have as much impact on defense as possible. That's where he wants to focus. And I thought that was so cool because I think that obviously as a rookie, that's where Quinn Snyder is going to want him to focus too, especially in you know Quinn Snyder's um, defensive focus system. And then the points are going to come too. We know that Donovan Mitchell is going to need to score. We're going to need him to do that. He has a great shot. Um, you know, he probably will still need to get the hang of you know scoring against NBA defenses and finding his shot and making good decisions. But at the end of the day, the fact that he knows his role is to come in and play defense, and he's said that that's what he's looking forward to do. That's awesome. I love that. I just love his mindset. 
I love everything we've seen from him so far. And as much as I'm trying to pump the brakes on him, it's just every little bit I see of him and about him from other players and other people around the league, I just can't help but be excited. So really looking forward to see what Mitchell's actually going to bring uh, here in a few weeks once the regular season gets underway. Last of all, this wasn't exactly something that people talked about in media day, you know, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, we have a lot of international players and things like that. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is you can just tell there's a chemistry and a togetherness on this Jazz squad. And quite frankly, I think that's what's going to make the team really special. I don't want to point any fingers or make any assumptions that obviously I, I know little about. But from what I've seen so far, it just seems like the team is in a better spot cohesion-wise than they were last year. And whether that has to do with Gordon Hayward, you know, he was on the team last year, now he's not. Or maybe they're all rallying because of that. I don't know exactly what the case is, you guys. It just seems to me, and, and I hope there's those that agree with me, that this team just feels like a unit that is going to be so solid together. We're not going to have any headbutting, really. You know, I, I just, lots of times I've thought back to when Rudy Gobert called the team out last year. And as good as the Jazz were last year, there were times and there were sequences where it was like, what is going on out here, guys? Why, why is Rudy the only one hustling? Why is, you know, why are only a couple of guys looking like they're giving their full effort? And based on what we've seen so far, I know that this is, you know, there's not much ground for me to make this prediction yet because the team hasn't even played together yet. But I just feel like they're going to have an excellent chemistry and I can't wait to see it. So all indications so far have been that this is going to be a team that's, you know, a tight-knit squad that works well together. And that could very well make their whole uh, much more impactful and much more talented than some of their parts. So can't wait to see that. With all that being said, let's move on now to point number two, where I'll talk about uh, the Carmelo Anthony trade to Oklahoma City and the Cleveland Cavaliers signing of Dwayne Wade. Point two. So as I'm sure most of you are all aware, um, a lot of people are referring to this offseason as one of, if not the best offseason in NBA history. And it's easy to see why. It's been absolutely nuts, just the number of stars that have changed teams and, and just kind of the craziness that's surrounded free agency and some of the trades that have gone down. And obviously the Jazz, unfortunately, were on the uh, the negative side of, of some of that excitement, you could say, in losing their all-star, Gordon Hayward. Uh, but, I mean, it's just crazy to think of all the teams that have changed, or all the players, excuse me, that have changed teams, um, seeing where they've ended up, you know. And, and now, late in the summer, or I guess now it's the fall, and getting right into training camp, we have the, these two pretty considerable moves with uh, with with if you want to call them superstars or not, but with star players, well-known players um, that take place this this close to training camp, it was pretty incredible, honestly. So, you know, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder had already added Paul George via trade, and then they make another stunning trade to get Carmelo Anthony. And, and I'll start there before I go on to Dwayne Wade. And honestly, I feel like this team, you know, on paper, they look phenomenal. They have the opportunity to be really, really good. Um, you know, a lot of people had Oklahoma City pinned fourth, after the Paul George trade, maybe that's still where they land, but I think they have the potential to be a top three team in the West. Uh, I really think they can be that good. The thing that I love about it is that we all know that Carmelo Anthony isn't exactly, you know, heralded for his defense. Um, he's getting up there in years. He's not exactly, um, you know, the, the, the athlete that he once was, but he can still score. He's still an excellent scorer. And what you have on this Oklahoma City team is you have elite wing defenders in, in Paul George and Andre Robertson, who you can have, you know, be the ones that are playing defense for you. And then Carmelo Anthony, you can kind of hide him a little bit on defense, put him on the opposing team's worst player or whatever you need to do. But since you have such other good defensive presences, 
Um, you don't have to worry as much about Carmelo being a liability on defense. And then on offense, obviously, you know, before it was Russell Westbrook was running the show. And, you know, to his in his defense, he did so phenomenally. He was a one-man wrecking crew. But now, you know, it's not just teams can't just focus 100% on Russell Westbrook. They're going to have to try to, you know, watch Paul George, who's a great scorer. Um, watch, watch Carmelo Anthony, who I've already said is a great scorer. Not to mention Steven Adams, who I think is being overlooked as, as a great player for the Thunder. Um, you know, they have Patrick Patterson coming off the bench, who's another guy who I think is a good role player, good glue guy. So the Thunder have a lot going for them. And I think this kind of three-headed dragon of Anthony, George, and Westbrook could be very, very good. With that being said, though, um, I do have a few concerns, and I'll kind of go through those one by one. Uh, the first one I have for them is, um, is Melo really going to be willing to accept a third scoring option role? You know, pretty much his whole career, he's been the go-to guy, the number one option. But now, you know, at this stage of his career, um, honestly, he's third fiddle to both Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Those are going to be the two guys that are going to be the kind of have the lion's share or, or the main responsibility to handle and score the ball. And if Carmelo doesn't jive with that or doesn't like that, or if the ball stops on him and he just you know is taking contested shots like he was known to do in New York and not looking to be you know not looking to move the ball or be a team player in that way, it could cause a lot of problems. Um, obviously, this is a very different situation in some ways. But if you guys saw on media day, somebody asked Carmelo Anthony what he thought about coming off the bench. And if you saw his attitude about that, it was very clear that he was not going to have that at all. There was no way he was coming off the bench. And don't misunderstand me. I don't think there's any way he should come off the bench. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, I like to see in a player where they, they say, you know what, if coach wants me coming off the bench and that's going to be best for the team, I will do it. And the fact that Carmelo Anthony just laughed off even the possibility of that being the case just kind of is a good insight on his mentality as far as, you know, he, he wants to be the guy. He wants to be in that in that spotlight. And even though he deserves to start, he should start, as I said, and, and he will start. Um, I just worry that that mentality may carry over to where, you know, Westbrook or even Paul George should have the ball and Carmelo Anthony is going to want it and going to have it and it's going to cause some issues, uh, which right then and there leads to my next my next concern, which is just chemistry. I mean, can these three players coexist? We saw Paul George last year. Um, kind of have a new a new look in a way to what he's looked like in the past, kind of a bad look for him. He he became very selfish. I mean, there were times when he was calling out his teammates and, and saying he needed to have the ball and, and just very, you know, not, not much of a team player in that way. And it was kind of discouraging um, to see out of him. And now, you know, he's got to realize, like Carmelo Anthony, that he's not the number one guy anymore. Really, we know that that's Russell Westbrook's team. Uh, Westbrook has gotten some great players now, some great teammates, but that doesn't mean that it's that he's given up the, the ownership of this team, I should say. He really is the guy on this team, and Paul George is going to have to accept that. He's going to have to find a way to mesh and coexist with Westbrook, so that's kind of a, a big question mark for me. The next one is just focus. I mean, um, in an earlier article I wrote, uh, I believe last week or the week before, I talked about how um, you know each of these guys is going to be free agents, or, or I should say they can be free agents at the end of this year. Um, because of player options on their current contracts. And so there's a chance that all three of them could be looking to to part ways with Oklahoma City or go to a new team. We know that Paul George was traded in the first place because he apparently made it clear to the Indiana Pacers that he was going to sign with the Lakers as soon as he could, as soon as he was a free agent. So I am kind of wondering, you know, are these guys going to be locked in and focused on doing all they can in Oklahoma City? Or are they going to be kind of here and biding their time and looking more towards next season or, or two years from now and really planning on what their next move is going to be? If they're not all, if they're not all committed and locked in uh, to doing what they need to do now to hopefully, you know, in their minds, bring a championship to OKC, 
this isn't going to work. It just isn't. They got to be focused. They got to accept the here and now. And that's kind of a concern I have for them. Um, the, the last one, um, and this is kind of an interesting statistic, but I, I don't know if you guys saw the graphic that NBA TV put out, but over the last six seasons, um, the four players who have had the worst shooting percentage in the last minute of the fourth quarter over time when the score has been within three points. I know that's a lot of stipulations, but essentially it's measuring how clutch these players are, you could say, in, in crunch time. Um, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook were three of the last four there. George was in last place. He, he shoots just 17.9% in those clutch situations. Uh, second to last is Kobe Bryant, who obviously a lot of those six seasons were, were very injury prone seasons for him on a rebuilding team. You know, there is kind of some justification for him there. He's also a shot chucker, which we all know, but he was 29.5% in those occasions. Then there was Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook, um, who were 30.1 and 30.8% respectively in those situations. And I should mention that was the minimum of 65 field goal attempts um, in the last minute of the fourth quarter overtime with the score within three points. So, um, with this, though, I mean, essentially what it was saying and what I'm trying to say is that there is some concern that, you know, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook don't exactly have the reputation of being clutch scorers um, when it matters most, don't necessarily have ice in their veins as one would hope, um, you know, if you're, if you're cheering for them. Um, one thing I will say, though, is that a lot of those shots, and the numbers are huge, like you look at Russell Westbrook, and even with all those stipulations I said, he still had 146 shots which fit that criteria. And so a lot of these shots from these guys came with them being the focal point of the defense. Obviously, some were when Westbrook was with Durant. Um, but so a lot of these points came with these guys being the guy, or a lot of these shots, excuse me, came when these guys were the main guy on their team, especially for Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Now, where you know you don't know which one of these three is going to get the final shot, maybe they're able to trick opposing defenses, get a better look, and we could see that clutch percentage, whatever you want to refer to that as, we could see that really go up. So, while it is a concern, I do think those figures are a little bit skewed. I mean, take Paul George, for example, that 17.9% is, is atrocious, but he's also hit tons of big shots that just don't quite fit inside this stipulation. He's a great player. All three of them are, we know that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they pan out. Moving on from OKC now to the Dwayne Wade signing. And this one's interesting to me, guys. I mean, he's back with LeBron. Um, this time it's not Miami, and they're not getting Miami Dwayne Wade. I mean, he is slowing down. Uh, he's 35 years old now. But, I mean, he did average over 18 points a game last year. So, I mean, Dwayne Wade can still ball. Uh, he has the pedigree. He has the smarts. He has the experience. And the thing that I like about him is, you know, you look at Oklahoma City, and the big thing that I was worried about was fit and chemistry and all that. I don't have any concern about that with Dwayne Wade. I think he's going to fit in very well there. Obviously, he's someone that LeBron trusts. And when LeBron is playing with teammates that he trusts, I feel like he just becomes a million times more effective, um, as good as he already is. So, assuming that, you know, they all stay healthy, uh, you know, they can, they can stay free of injuries, including if Isaiah Thomas can get back into form, I think Cleveland's going to be very good. And I think Dwayne Wade's going to be a big part of that. He's a reliable veteran, and, you know, he has that experience that they need. Um, he's probably going to be, or I shouldn't say probably, I believe that he is going to spend quite a bit of time running the point position, especially in the absence of Isaiah Thomas, and especially with Derrick Rose being such a question mark. Um, and I think he could do really well there in this stage of his career. Um, one interesting thing about the Cavs is that, I mean, they're going to have a full year with Korver, who obviously is one of the most phenomenal three-point shooters to play the game. And he came in late in the year last year, but having a full year of him and having him get used to, you know, LeBron James and, and Dwayne Wade and all these folks, I could see him being really, 
uh, really effective for him all year. Um, Jay Crowder obviously is going to be probably, I mean, not probably, he's going to be coming off the bench uh, for the Cavs, and he'll be an awesome piece, so they'll have more depth than they've had in the past. I think that this was a really great addition for them in Dwayne Wade, and I just think the whole team is going to be better for it. And, and I have a hard time seeing anybody, even the Boston Celtics, getting past the Cleveland Cavaliers in the playoffs um, unless there's some sort of crazy injury problems there. So my prediction is that with Wade, um, you know, the Cavs are going to make it back to the finals again. So, you know, enough talking about other teams. It's great to see them add these, these star players, but let's get back to our jazz. That's exactly what we'll do for point number three. Point three. So for the third and final point today, I wanted to talk a little bit about a few things that, in my opinion, are some items that a lot of national media and a lot of NBA experts are just overlooking uh, when they talk about the Utah Jazz uh, during the 2017-18 season that's coming up. You know, a lot of people have us pinned out of the playoffs. You know, I've seen a lot of folks that have us ninth seed, um, which isn't unreasonable by any means. I mean, they could very well be right, um, but I still maintain the optimism and the faith that we're going to be a lot better than that. And these are kind of three things about the Jazz that I think um, are a big, a big reason why I think that, I guess you could say. Uh, the first one is just health. And obviously this one, if we're not healthy, I'm completely wrong here. But I do believe the Jazz are going to be a lot healthier this year. You know, the past two years, the big thing that Utah Jazz fans have said has just been, oh man, imagine how good we'd be if we were healthy. Imagine if, if you know, Derek Favors or if Alec Burks or, or whoever it be hadn't gotten hurt. Just think how good we would have been. And that's something that's gotten so annoying to say that if we don't have to say that this year, you know, if everybody stays healthy for the majority of the year, we could very well replace or overcome uh, the loss of Gordon Hayward just by guys staying healthy, being on the court and getting better. Um, in that regard, you know, according to mangameslost.com, last year we lost nine games because of injuries. We tacked those onto our, our record and we're a 60 win team. Um, and so I know that, you know, even if we are perfectly healthy this year, we're not going to be a 60 win team. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if we are perfectly healthy, that could balance us out and still have us in the high 40s, low 50s. I really think that that is a possibility. And, um, you know, health has been the biggest issue for the Jazz in recent years. Um, not only in that there's been individuals that have been out, but it's also prevented them from getting any sort of chemistry, any sort of cohesion. And so if that's all repaired, I think that's a big, that's a big boost in and of itself that can make the Jazz much better than people think they're going to be. Uh, the next one, and this isn't necessarily one that people are overlooking, but it's just not something that's been emphasized enough or given enough credit, and that's the Jazz's defense. The fact of the matter is this team is going to be incredible defensively, and I know that you know no one is really disputing that. I think that people expect the Jazz to be a good defensive team. More what the argument has been is that they, no matter how good they are defensively, they won't have the offense um, to be competitive, and I, I think that's absolutely false. I think that while, yes, there are some question marks surrounding the offense, the defense is going to be good enough that it will make up for some of the questions offensively. The Jazz's defense is going to be good enough that it's going to help them secure a playoff spot in my mind. You know, we've heard a lot of cool things. Uh, you know, Dennis Lindsay said he wants people to feel like uh, they're, they're, they're visiting the world's worst dentist when they play the Jazz. You know, they really want to have this grueling atmosphere, grind it out games, make you know, opponents work for their points. Obviously at home, we want to have a great home court advantage this year and every year. You hope that the altitude plays in, that we're playing this great defense and other teams are getting, are getting tired. Um, also, there's kind of the changes with the timeouts where there won't be as many timeouts at the end of games. And I know that the Jazz really want to leverage that and combine the altitude with fewer rest at the end of the game and just try to grind people down to the finish and get some wins that way. Um, recently, uh, John Kiefer, my J-Notes colleague, talked about how, you know, historically, if teams have an elite defense, they've still been able to make the playoffs even with 
mediocre or subpar offenses. And I kind of bounced off what he talked about, and I compared the Jazz to the uh, 2013-14 Pacers, who, you know, their offense at times was just horrible. Um, But they were able to still beat these teams because their defense was so good and so frustrating to other to to their opponents. They could they could just wear them out. They could get them you know grinded down and get them frustrated. That's exactly what the Jazz are going to do. They're going to frustrate a lot of teams into losses this year. That I can tell you for sure. That's how good their defense is going to be. And and like I said, while there's question marks with the offense, I just think their defense is going to be you know good enough that it's going to balance out. Um, you know, they're not going to be scoring, you know, 120 points night in and night out. Obviously we know that, but these are still NBA players. These are still guys that know how to score, even if it's not necessarily all of their specialty. So that's one thing that I think that people aren't giving the Jazz enough credit for. Yes, everyone realizes their defense is going to be good, but I'm not sure they understand how good and how much it's going to help balance out the questionable offense. Last thing um, that I think a lot of people are overlooking is the Jazz's ability to run this year. You know, we've been one of the slowest teams in pace over the last couple years, last few years. Um, But this year, I think that's really going to change. Around media day, there was talk from the players um, that they were looking forward to playing faster. Um, Obviously, Ricky Rubio is in there. He's in there. He can push the pace and he can help with that as well. Um, In a recent podcast, a recent uh, David Locke podcast, you know, he alluded to the fact that a lot of that slow pace was to cater to the style and the play of Gordon Hayward. And you know, that was kind of what he was alluding to in that. And I can agree with that. I, I do think he probably prevented some of the fast pace so that it would better fit his game. As the best scorer on the team, we needed to do that. But now with him gone, honestly, the Jazz have a lot of guys that can get out and run. Um, and so they're going to need to take advantage of that and get points in transition. With an offense that's a little bit iffy, you could say, those fast break points, transition points are going to be, you know, a must have. We have guys now like uh, Tabo Cephalosha, Ricky Rubio, and Donovan Mitchell who are capable of getting a ton of steals, you know, and that's going to help us get those fast breaks. And that's what we're going to have to do. Our defense is going to have to be so good um, that not only are we stopping people, because that's what we did last year. Our defense was so good that we stopped people and it was great. But now we're going to have to not just stop people, but have that, you know, stop the stop people by forcing turnovers and turning that defense into offense. That's really what the Jazz are going to have to do to stay afloat this year. Like I said, Rubio is going to push the tempo. Uh, you have Mitchell and Exum who are going to be the, you know, the backcourt off the bench hypothetically, and they're going to be extremely fast. I'm going to love seeing those two play together. And in the past, has been kind of a slow, methodical plotting team, but I really don't think we're going to be that anymore. Um, with that being said, that doesn't mean we're going to slacken up on defense. I don't think that we'll make any dramatic changes um, to the half-court offense. You know, I still think that we'll be pretty systematic and a lot of ball movement there. But what I want to say is that now, rather than always looking to slow it down and take it at our pace, I think the Jazz are going to look to take advantage of a lot more fast-break opportunities. And because of that, the offense could very well be better than people think. So that's something I think people are definitely overlooking. Um, one last thing I want to comment on that is you look at last year, and the Jazz were second to last in the league in fast break points. Um, only had 11 per game. They were 25th in the league in points off turnovers. This wasn't a team that stole the ball much. It wasn't a team that forced turnovers. They were second to last in steals, only only about 6.7 per game. And then they were second to last in, in just a forcing in forcing opponent turnovers. Only uh, opponents only had about 12 turnovers per game against the Jazz last season. So. As good as Utah's defense was, it wasn't disruptive enough in the fact that it was forcing turnovers and leading to easy offense and things like that. 
And that's something the Jazz really, really have to get better in, you know, especially those points off of turnovers. And I think just fast break points, just getting up and down the court when they have that opportunity, they got to take advantage of it because with an offense, that's not quite as prolific as it's been in the past. Not to say it was that prolific in the past, but it definitely was more than it is now. Um, the Jazz are really going to have to depend on those. So I think that all those three things I mentioned, you know, better health, um, a defense that's even better than people think it's going to be, and also that ability to run, I think all those are going to make the Jazz, you know, a phenomenal team this year. You know, maybe they won't be as good as last year. Um, maybe they won't make it into the second round of the playoffs or what have you, but I think they're going to be better than people think they're going to be, and I'm really excited to see it. So... That's going to wrap it up, you guys. I, I hope you can tell. I'm sure you can. I am absolutely ecstatic for this season to start. I can't wait to see these guys come together. going to be a lot of fun. Uh, preseason starts on Monday. That's right. We only have a few more days till we get to see the boys suit up. Um, they'll be playing against the Sydney Kings. Um, it'll be awesome to see the team hit the floor, so make sure you're tuning into that. Um, now that we're getting to the season, um, looking forward to doing some cool stuff with a three-point threat podcast, so make sure you're still tuning in, following on Twitter at 3P Threat Podcast. And be sure to stay t- stay tuned to us on uh, thejnotes.com. Also follow us on Twitter there, at thejnotes. Going to have a lot of great content. Really excited for the season ahead. Uh, go Jazz, guys. We'll see you next time.